You opened your account with your local Sunlight Federal Credit Union, but maybe you find yourself on vacation, or going to college, or are moving away and you wonder how will you access your account. Well, don't worry, it has never been easier. You can access your account at more than 5,000 co-op shared branch locations in all 50 states, just like you were at your home credit union. To find the nearest branch, visit coopsharedbranch.org. Sunlight Federal Credit Union, banking done local no matter where you are. Sunlight Federal Credit Union, member NCUA, an equal housing lender, building a brighter future together. From our family to yours, thank you for supporting our small business in 2023. Hi, this is Elizabeth. And JT Kraft from EBA Hearing and Sound. And we want to wish you a very happy new year. Our hope for you and your family is that 2024 is full of laughter and a renewed connection to those who mean the most to you. With the addition of our new doctor of audiology, Addison Dempsey, we look forward to helping you with the most comprehensive hearing care. Hi, I'm Dr. Addison Dempsey, and I'm so happy to be back home and working at EBA Hearing and Sound. I was born and raised here in Sheridan, and my husband and I are so excited to have the opportunity to raise our little girl in such an amazing community. I am able to evaluate your hearing, program hearing aids from a variety of manufacturers, and as a doctor of audiology, I am able to officially evaluate and diagnose auditory processing disorder for all ages. I also have special training from the American Institute of Balance for vestibular assessments. Help us welcome Addison back home and to the EBA Hearing family. EBA Hearing and Sound, 1273 Coffee and Avenue, 674-8920. That's 674-8920. This is Public Pulse, your information and conversation program brought to you by First Federal Bank and Trust. You can voice your opinion by calling 672-KROE. That's 672-5763. Now, your host for Public Pulse, Floyd Whitey. Good morning and welcome to Public Pulse. This morning, I am joined by the Chief of the Sheridan Police Department, Travis Koltiska. And Captain of the Force, Tom Ringley. Happy New Year, gentlemen. Happy New Year, Floyd. Now, how was your Christmas? It was fantastic. Yeah? It was very relaxing, and, and yeah, it was, couldn't ask for a better one. Had all the family there. That's fantastic. Getting able to spend that time with family. Uh, it's kind of our one time a year we get to see all of her family yep. in one go. And, uh, boy, I, I'm sure every family's this way, uh, but, uh, it you know, you go from one person's house to the other. And you just try to save room for another meal over and over and over again. We broke it into two days, so I I, I had two days of overeating. Fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, my brother said that uh, he's still recovering from the stretch <laughs> that he did to his stomach. How about you, Captain? It, it was good, thank you. Thanks for asking. It was what the holidays supposed to be, um, especially Christmas. It was quiet and laid back, and everyone had a good time. Now, how was the new year here in Sheridan as far as DWI offenses? It, it, it was your average long weekend, I think, from um, midnight uh, Friday morning the 29th through midnight on the through New Year's Eve night and early early morning of the um, of the first. We had four DUIs, which was pretty average for a, a long weekend. I mean, it seems like. December, we definitely had an uptick in DUIs for, for some reason, even before the holiday season. Um, but apart from that, it looks like everyone made plans to take care of themselves. We did have a few public intoxications, but your average, in an average weekend, um, may, maybe an early summer weekend, but, but still the main thing is no one was hurt on those. Um, but we really didn't have any issues. We, we did identify some things we need to clean up in regards to, uh, uh, establishment staying open late 
Um, but that, that those are easy fixes. But so kudos to the community for, you know, once again, doing a great job, um, enjoying our, ourselves, but doing it in a safe manner. Now, today we will discuss the Sheridan Police Department use of four statistics for 2023. What exactly is force in the context of police work? Force is loosely defined as any conduct on a part of an officer that assists is designed to assist in controlling a situation or behavior of an individual. That's a very loose term, and it's, um, you know, it's basically the officer's um, actions, words that will help control a situation. That, that's the very loose form of it. Um, now, people attribute force to uh, physical force. That's not the only force that is out there. So, you know, there's different levels of physical force, but um, simply put, our presence is the, is the first and foremost level of force. Just being at the scene of a, of a situation is the first level of force um, because uh, uh, people see the uniform. That's why the uniform, we wear a uniform, so we're easily recognizable. It's a, it's a um, representation of that um, authority that's granted to us through our, through our position. And um, when we arrive, that, that, that recognition of that is, is how we hope to initially control a situation. If we could control a situation every time by showing up there and just our presence being there and people just oh. saying, okay, we're going to do this, well, that's what we'd hope for. <laughs> Easy um, job. Yeah, yeah that. It'd make it easier. But So that's, that's a loose definition of force. So verbal commands are most definitely a use of force. They are. They are. They're giving that instruction to an individual, um, you know, having them cease the behavior, having them come talk to you. Just there, There's different levels of force. If you're controlling their movement, through verbal commands or, or having them do um, a uh, some sort of an action, whether it's you know maybe they ha- you have to put them in handcuffs, so you're giving them instructions on how to put them in handcuffs. Those those verbal instructions are also a level of, of force, and they're very low levels, right? There, um, we don't traditionally you know record the, those when we're coming statistic wise because it's that's just part of everyday police work. Is we're always given instructions, we're always ri- arriving somewhere, we're always given instructions. And so those levels of force are very low-level levels of force. Now, what about the escalating levels of physical force? What are those? Well, the first one is open hands techniques, and essentially that's like your escorts. Um, that's if you're like, hey, I need to control somebody's movement. They're not listening. I need to move them over for safety. You know, and that's what, that's what all force is about is for the safety of everyone involved in this situation, not only the potential victim, suspects, officers, it's the general public. So it's all about safety. But if we need to remove a person from a situation, um, we need to take, they're not responding. They're going to put up some sort of defensive resistance. That was open hand techniques, which are the escorts. Um, that's, that's the first and, and the, uh, the lowest level of physical force that it, that's involved in, in that. In the, they used to call them a continuum. When, when the captain and I went through the academy, it was called a continuum. And it would look like a thermometer. And, you know, you can think about it, you're starting off at the lowest level, being your officer presence and moving up all the way to the highest level of force. And it's really not like that because it implied that you only had linear movement. Now, force changes throughout a situation. So you're going to have, you, you may be utilizing verbal commands one minute, then physical, having to do some sort of a, a physical um, use of force, whether it's an open hands, whether it's a strike, but then you, we need, but then you, we need to be able to de-escalate back down, because a, a different individual or that even that same individual, that force has got to 
be fluid, to move back and forth throughout the different levels. And, and the continuum didn't really give that impression that that was, you know, what you start at the bottom and you worked your way to the top and there was no dropping back down. Yeah. Yeah. And, there was and no so de-escalation. Correct. And so they've changed that over the years in the training that the officers receive is that it's a very fluid decision-making process on what levels of force that are appropriate for each situation. And it's all dependent upon the feedback you're receiving from the people you are involved with. It's, it's also to, dependent on the people involved. Um, it used to be, okay, if, if they've got a knife, then we should use a gun. Or if they um, have hands raised in an aggressive posture, then we should use a baton. But each officer is different and each suspect's different. For something I could address with um, um, empty-handed, another officer may be able to, um, may need uh, to brandish a taser. Yeah, but because yeah. of a size and ability difference, and um, not only in the officer but but also in the suspect. Where one suspect I can use verbal commands, another one's going to require um, an empty hand technique or, or a, another level of force. Six four, two hundred eighty five pounds. Yeah. yeah, and and also, like the chief was saying, especially um, seventy to eighty percent of all of our arrests involve alcohol. Well, now we've got emotion involved, and people so the. Throughout a, a single incident, the emotions can come up and go down and come up and go down. And, you know, we're always at, think we're at a point to where we solve the problem only for things that go south again. And we've got yeah. to almost start all over and, and, and be more uh, forceful, whether it's through the, the type of verbiage we're using or um, the, the tools that we um, present. Now, how does training approach the use of force? Uh, with recruits. Uh, Chief, you said that it used to be like a thermometer, but now we've kind of changed it. And I don't think a lot of people understand, because Hollywood media, things like that, the importance of the de-escalation. I think a lot of people do have that perception where it's like, well, once they take them to the ground, it's, it's on. It's, you know, we're going into the dirt together and they're going to handle the situation as roughly as they can. Well, when you talk about training, the first thing that you have to um, teach anyone is purpose, right? What, what is the purpose of using force? And, and when, you know, it is to control situations. It's not punishment. It's not retribution. It's none of those things that, that, that people may believe. It's about control and safety. You know, we are only authorized to use the amount of forces um, objectively reasonable in, the, in light of the circumstances confronting us to accomplish a legitimate police objective. So the purpose, we are trying to accomplish a police objective here and, and what's reasonable in that situation. So you start walking them through that judgment process about the observation, what you're encountering, and what is objectively reasonable in those circumstances. Um, you know, we have very strict guidelines. Use, use of force is a, a probably one of the hottest topics in, police, in, in policing. When you talk about um, George Floyd, you talk yeah. about some of those other situations. It was unreasonable, uh, unnecessary uses of force in those situations. And, and they are the ones, those are the ones that um, really tarnish um, a, a, an agency. Could be, because in those situations, was that use of force reasonable? To a, a reasonable person, we talk about that, a jury of, you know, what, what's, a, what's a reasonable person's perception and belief about is that force necessary in that situation? And are you trying to accomplish a police objective? And so those are the things that are looked at in those situations. So you've got to really start t- teaching those recruits. Then you run them through scenarios. 
you start, you know, we do a lot of role playing, do a lot of scenarios, a lot of on the job. They're encountering different people, right? And they're and from their observations of officers that that have are handling situations. And then it's all rehashed. There's debriefings. There's a lot of different things that go in that come into play when you're talking about training. It's it's a real key use of force training because you're talking to not only does it cover anything from just how do you interact with individuals all the way up to deadly force, the use of a firearm against an individual. And deadly force is a de-escalation technique. Yeah. If you're in an active shooter scenario and it, the only way to de-escalate it is with deadly force, then, I mean, de-escalation, we've always de-escalated. It, it, it's, a, it's a term that's been a, come up since the George Floyd era. Um, yeah. But we've always de-escalated. It's just another name. 25 years ago, it was called verbal judo, and then mm -hmm. it's called something else. But we've always de-escalated. It's not something new. And what people tend to either decide they don't want to know about or forget is it's incumbent upon the, um, the suspect or whoever we're talking to to participate in the de-escalation procedure, too. Um, otherwise, there's no point. Um, I've noticed um, people use de-escalation they demand that we de-escalate. So they, they already know that there's an issue. Yeah. They're welcome to de-escalate as well. Um, they have to at least respond to our, our techniques and our efforts to solve things at the, uh, at the verbal level. But after a while it becomes in, in some of the stuff we've reviewed, it's painfully obvious that people are buying time or they're playing games system screaming de-escalation. It's that it's name and badge number of, of two years ago. Yeah. Um, it's like we're, we're there to solve a problem, but we're going to solve it in a safe manner. And we're not going to sit around and change verbiage because someone's demanding solely that we change verbiage. It's, it's incumbent upon us and the people we contact to, to solve the problem. Now, Captain, I haven't seen a lot of this, but are, are nightsticks or, or batons uh, still in use? Yes, we use in all of our officers carry an expandable baton on their belts. So it's, it's tiny and, in the back. Um, We're just not seeing the big stick dangle off. Yeah. The old PR 24 that was kind yeah. of <laughs> the Hollywood days, right? The, the LAPD. Um, yeah. We don't care. Those. In our time, I can maybe think of one time we've, uh, applied a baton and wow. this was over 20 years ago. I was going to say, you got what? 20 it, some years of, yeah, on the floor. Um, because yeah. we, we, Part of it is, as much as we train with stuff, we realize the impact these things have. When I was going through baton training and instructing the baton, my thought was, I don't want to get hit by this. Yeah. Um, so we're very cognizant of, of the force it can have. Um, they're great for, um, we primarily use them to, as a pry device because people tend to lay on their arms um, when they're uh, passively resisting. So they're a great oh, pry They don't tool. want their hands behind their and, back. Yeah, or so you just can dig an arm out. With, without hurting anyone. And I've also, seen more windows broke. We break windows with them, and uh, we may use the butt um, to hit a, uh, the nerve bundle on an outer thigh to, to get compliance, but as far as... Um, Expanded strikes, I can't think yeah. of a single one. Yeah, yeah, that could do some damage. Yeah. Yeah, they, well, they, they don't, actually. They don't. Oh, the really? way they're designed they properly, really? they, yeah. they hurt. They hurt. It's um, a pain compliance tool, and pain compliance, when somebody's under the influence of alcohol-controlled substances, aren't as, as effective, but it's a pain compliance Um and it, it's not designed to injure, especially the way we're trained with it. it yeah, it, it um, momentarily incapacitates a, a limb. Like if, if you've ever hit yourself on the outer thigh, um, there, there's a nerve bundle there that if you kind of tap yourself, you feel it. But if you get a, um, a, a hard strike, um, 
it w- will incapacitate that limb for a short amount of time, which gives us time to take people into custody. The old Charlie horse, yeah. right? Like, yeah. <laughs> the, on, on, the thing that big brothers do yeah. all over there. Yeah. And that's all it is. is we, we don't hit heads. Um, yeah. We don't strike the torso. Um, yeah, it's for in, incapacitation purposes. All right. On that, we're going to have more with our Sheridan Police Department right after this. You're listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM Sheridan. Federal Bank and Trust presents the return of Dining for a Cause at Smith Alley Brewing on Monday, January 22nd from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Our goal is to support local restaurants and nonprofits. On January 22nd, help us support the incredible work of the Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. First Federal will match the restaurant's proceeds from that day up to $10,000. Dining for a Cause, Monday, January 22nd at Smith Alley Brewing with proceeds benefiting Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. Dining for a Cause presented by First Federal Bank and Trust. Face it, you don't want to do your own plumbing and heating work or repair. You need a professional, and that is exactly what you will get if you work with RAP Plumbing and Heating. Being fully licensed, bonded, and insured, you can rest assured that they will take care of your repairs and maintenance in the very best way possible. Call RAP Plumbing and Heating at 429-1196 and rest easy knowing it'll be done right. This is Dan Rapp with RAP Plumbing and Heating. And as we like to say, if you find a leak, let me take a peek. Remember when your mom used to say, don't break your arm, patting yourself on the back? Well, if you ignored her and broke your arm, then the Health Nut is the place for you to get all healthy again. Every inch of the Health Nut can make you feel better about yourself. The soup, sandwich, and salad bar, and smoothie so good you'll forget you even got a broke arm. Remember how your mom used to say you'd forget your head if it wasn't glued on? Well, we can't fix that, but most everything else at the Health Nut in Sheridan's Fifth Street Mall. Magic Melanie here with First Northern Bank, Sheridan Honda, and Power Sports Pro Football Pick'em. Here's what happened in the KROE studio this week. The Broncos, they're traveling to Vegas. I'm going to pick the Broncos because new quarterback. I think the guy is going to come out and go, and I want that starting position. That's what most of them say, and then they get go 10 for 25. Well, 120 yards and two picks. I think that uh, this guy, uh, what's his name? Jared, you don't even know his name. I don't even know his name. <laughs> Jared Stidham. Stidham. Yeah, I was going to say Stinson, but I know his Jarrett Stidham is his name. Stidham. Should be Stidham. Yeah, Stidham. not nice. Yeah. Good one. Stidham. I wonder if he's ever heard that before. Yeah, I bet not. <laughs> Stidham. <laughs> <laughs> I love how the announcers are going to do that yeah. one. Is going to be the starting QB. Hey, it's Desperado Dave with Sheridan Honda and Power Sports. Play along with us every week for a chance to win a prize. This week, it's a $100 gift card to Warehouse Gastro Pub. Just go to the contest page on SheridanMedia.com and click on the Pro Football Pick'em banner. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse. I'm Floyd Whiting. This morning I'm speaking with Chief Travis Koltiska and Captain Tom Ringley of the Sheridan Police Department. We're discussing the use of force by the Sheridan Police Department in the 2023 year. In the first half of the show, we talked about what the use of force is and how it is applied. If you missed that, you can find this program in its entirety at SheridanMedia.com by the end of the day. Now, uh, sirs, how do the department's 2023 use of force to st- statistics look? Well, starting 
at the top and working our way down, we've had no deadly uses of deadly force, um, which is our goal. Um, most of the force that we report on is um, through brandishing firearms in compliance. For instance, um, we use firearms, we brandish firearms four times on a call for service. That means wow. if we, we felt Had that to, draw. to make a clean safe, uh, a scene safe, um, we brandish firearms. Um, and a separate category is um, on three search warrants, we clear the house with firearms. And that's when we're going to, just like it sounds. Um, we only had to perform two high-risk traffic stops. That's like what you see on TV when people are pulled out of a car and called out one at a time. Um, oh, wow, yeah. And it's also known as a felony stop. We brandished tasers three times um, and um, left less lethal shotgun once. So that's that's pretty good just on the um, the, the show of force. And as far as actual use of, of intermediate force, um, we employed empty hand techniques seven times, and that's usually a knee strike to an outer thigh to get someone in a police car. Um, um, we didn't deploy OC any times. We only deployed a t fully deployed a taser twice. And once again, that's the, it's actually safer for everyone involved to include the suspect. Um, what people and forget about a taser in the old days, it would be a, a, a less lethal um, beanbag round from a shotgun or a baton. Um, we use, I, I've seen those beanbags yes, fired uh, I mean, in a demonstration. Yeah. Boy, howdy. Yeah, yeah. Neither one's pleasant, um, but I, I would take it, and we've all been tased. Um, mm -hmm. I'd take that any time, and I've been hit by a baseball. Um, yeah. So it is all good. Um, and there's a, 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 a technique with a taser called a drive stun where you actually take the cartridge off and you apply the taser usually to an outer thigh to, to get compliance. Um, and once again, if, if someone's, say, for instance, um, struggling and, and pulling away from us or um, laying on their arms as opposed to hurting them by um, pulling an arm out mm -hmm. so we can handcuff uh, someone, a, a quick drive stun until we get compliance um, is has actually has less impact on on someone. Which I mean, what are the are there any long term effects at all from the use of a taser? No, when we were um, when we got our first round of tasers, um, there was a detention officer with a pacemaker who volunteered to. Like got, two months out of getting yeah. pacemaker installed. Wow! Like, he got cleared by his doctor. Um, and he he was fine. Um, it's not like on TV where you lose consciousness, which um, no. it, it's this you're incapacitated, and then as soon as it if the either the officer manually uh, disengages or the five seconds is up, it um, you it's done. If you're curious, um, Floyd, we can get the cameras working. Yeah. Here again. We can do it. We can a do a demo right here for everybody if you. <laughs> You know, I, 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 I would. <laughs> sure, why not? Um, I actually, we were doing non-lethal force uh, in, in the military, and but we could only use so many cartridges. Mm -hmm. And so I will admit, I wasn't the first one to raise my hand, but I thought, you know, if we're going to be using it, yeah, then we need to understand what it does. And so I was in line, but we ran out yeah. of cartridges. I mean, we've, we, obviously we haven't been shot but even with the batons, we're not going to hit each other with batons, but with the training pads um, that we use for full force strikes, you, we get a good idea of 
the damage they can do. Yeah. Um, and we've all been tased. We've all been pepper sprayed. The importance, um, the importance of tasers and pepper sprays, not only to understand the effects that it has, but also th- these things are all available to anybody out in the public. General you can go buy pepper spray yeah. down at Rocky, right? You can go buy a taser anywhere down there. We, you need to know, officers need to know what effects it's going to have on them should uh, an individual with nefarious intent pull those on us. And be able to react mm-hmm. under exactly. that type of duress. Yep. Yes, and so that's that's part of the importance of, that's, that's, that's a factor of it. You know, and going through these stats, I think it's important to put it kind of in the context of that in 2023, I mean, we there was 14 displays of force um, and do my math here, what, 12, 13 uses of force. We made custodial arrests in 509. We made 509 custodial arrests from investigations, 298 custodial arrests on warrants, issued 783 summons. That's criminal summons for an offense that occurred. Answered over 11,000 calls for service and made almost 8,000 traffic or just over 7,000 traffic stops. That's how many encounters that Sheridan Police Department had with individuals. And some of those resulted in people's rights being taken away i.e. Yeah. going to jail. And we have a very low, low, low level use of force because our officers are very adept at getting compliance from the community through through that verbal engagement. And again, um, you know, I think how many times I've had very pleasant conversations, this is no kidding, very pleasant conversations with individuals taken to jail. Um, they were like, yeah, I messed up. And, hey, this is the way it is. We're on yeah. the way to jail. And this is the price I paid for my actions, you know. And, so. and it and it goes back to our hiring too. The it's not like we're some kind of since Bengali's here that they're going to ma- manipulate people into doing what we want. We're hiring excellent people that mm-hmm. are getting into law enforcement for the right reasons, um, not to run around with a badge and a gun and, and take people's freedom. We hire people that want to solve problems um, and have a degree of emotional intelligence and maturity that give them the ability to solve problems. So this is really a, a kudos to our staff. Um, they've, they're, they're problem solvers and they're still, and they're very active too. I mean, the, the numbers are about the same. Some of these numbers are up, some are down um, in regards to our calls for service and arrest numbers. Um, but, but overall they're consistent, but the one yet yeah, these, uh, the actual um, use of physical force and intermediate force is down from, the previous year, which was down from the year before that, so we're we're pretty pretty happy with our, we're actually extremely happy with our with our staff. What is the responsibility of the department? You show up on a scene, someone has uh, tried to break into a house, cut themselves up pretty badly, and they battle you a little bit. They're not willing to go, so there has to be use of open hand force. Sure. You get them in the car. What's your responsibility health-wise to that individual? Um, we will call an ambulance to the scene, get them checked out before we take them to jail. Um, we also have a responsibility to the jail to make sure we're just not dropping off a huge problem yeah. for them. So they're generally, and if people need to go to the emergency room, we, we take them to the emergency room. Once in custody, yes. the health mm-hmm. and welfare of that individual falls completely upon the department. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, we actually have no duty to protect someone walking down the street but once we have make a meaningful contact with them then we, we have we do have a duty to protect um and also every use of force is reported on and investigated now with body cameras reviewed um 
So we, we, we go over every incident um, with a fine tooth comb with multiple uh, levels of approval. When it comes to those body cameras, uh, last time we saw each other, we dispelled a lot of myths, which I think is fantastic. One of my favorite shows of the year. <laughs> but when it, it, when it comes to the body cam use, is it on the moment I have an interaction? Is it on the moment I put my uniform on? No, it's so the, the body cam activates multiple ways. One of them you can manually, the officer can manually act, activate it. Um, our policy indicates that when the officers are engaged in some sort of an enforcement action, their body cam must be activated. So if that's a traffic stop, if that's responding to a call that's potentially a criminal investigation, during those interactions, they're required to activate those body cams. Um, what's cool about our body cams is, is they activate when the officers turn the lights on in their car. Oh, wow. Um, or when the vehicle reaches a certain speed. Their lights better be on if their vehicle reaches a certain speed, right? So there's indicators. There's other ways for that for the body cam to activate. But an officer can also manually activate it. So if he or she is out to lunch, right, and something starts occurring in front of them that they have to step up and take enforcement action. They're, they're supposed to turn that thing on. Now, does that happen 100% of the time? I mean, obviously, if, if, if they were, they have if they were having quickly. lunch at a reaction, uh, and they had to react very quickly and take some sort of, they're going to turn it on as soon as possible right after the fact. But that's, yeah, anytime there's, there's some sort of an interaction that could result in some sort of enforcement action. So if they're just going in to have lunch and they're visiting with a, the staff of the, the establishment they're eating at, or they're just walking up and down town. No, they're not running. They're not rolling their body cam at that time. All right. Uh, now I'm running out of time with you. Uh, just, but before we go, is there anything else you would like the residents of Sheridan to know in regards to the use of force in the 2023 year or the use of force in general at all? Yeah, I, I think um, given our staff and I'm speaking for Sheridan, I'm, I don't know about people's experiences every where else? If we ask you to do something or tell you to do something, it's for a reason. Um, if you feel you're being wronged, just comply and complain later. We have a, a vibrant complaint process and we investigate every complaint. But every use of force is the result of someone else's behavior. It's not the officer's desire to use it. It's our reaction to um, someone else. And also, we're not required to, and I hate to use this term, but the we're adults. We, we're not required to fight fair. We're always going to be a step above. We, it's yeah. not our job. We didn't sign up to fight fair. Um, we're all perfectly capable, but that's not our job. Our job, job is to protect the protect community and solve problems, but just comply. And if you feel you're wrong, then sue us or complain. It's, it's all good. Yeah. We'll, we'll go to court. Yeah. It's okay. Yeah. Chief, Captain, I want to thank you both for coming in and speaking with me. Uh, Happy New Year, Happy gentlemen. New Year. It is always a pleasure to Looking talk to you. Looking forward to a good 2024. Another oh, good, another absolutely. Good one. And we'll work on that teasing. <laughs> <laughs> when we come back, we're going to speak to the chair of the Johnson County Commissioners, Bill Novotny. You're listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM Sheridan. First Federal Bank and Trust presents the return of Dining for a Cause at Smith Alley Brewing on Monday, January 22nd from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Our goal is to support local restaurants and nonprofits. On January 22nd, help us support the incredible work of the Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. First Federal will match the restaurant's proceeds from that day up to $10,000. Dining for a Cause, Monday, January 22nd at Smith Alley Brewing, with proceeds benefiting Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. Dining for a Cause, presented by First Federal Bank and Trust. 
trust. With the complete redesign of Legacy Diamond and Gems, a five-decade tradition of jewelers in the Kraft family continues. Tom Kraft and his expert staff of bench jewelers create custom jewelry and repair of all levels of difficulty, and it's all done in-house. They are also one of the largest bridal centers in Wyoming, where you can find the perfect ring or design the perfect ring for the best value. Visit Legacy Diamond and Gem at 11 North Main Street in downtown Sheridan. Online at LegacyDiamondGems.com. Delicious McDonald's deals are now more fun, more accessible, and better than ever through the McDonald's mobile app. Download the McDonald's app, join My McDonald's Rewards to get your free large fries with a $1 minimum purchase. Plus, when you join My McDonald's Rewards, you start earning points on every eligible order. Points you can put towards more free food. Just order, relax, and enjoy. Go to the Google Play or Apple App Store, download the McDonald's mobile app, and start saving. Download it now. So, my New Year's resolution is to never take a sleeping pill and a laxative on the same night again. Your resolution should be to get that broke-down 4 before side-by-side that you're never going to ride again out of the backyard. Handles will come and take a look at it, make you an offer, and if you take them up on it, Handles will come out and get that old girl out of your yard and out of your hair. Have a safe and happy new year from Handles Service Center on Sheridan's Heartland Drive or on the web at handlesservicecenter.com. If you're a Sheridan City resident, now's the time to sign up to receive critical emergency alerts from the city on your cell phone. Get information on severe weather, snow removal parking requirements, service outages, and more. The city's goal is for every city resident to sign up and receive these time-sensitive notifications, and now's the best time to do it. For more information and to sign up, scan the QR code in this week's Country Bounty or click the link on SheridanMedia.com. Sports Radio is back in Sheridan all day long, every single day. Tune into the best sports lineup in the nation every single day on Sheridan Media's 106.3 FM. The best sporting lineup in the nation all day, every day, 24-7. Sheridan Media's 106.3 FM and online at SheridanMedia.com. We are Sports Sports. Good morning and welcome back to Public Pulse, proudly brought to you by our friends out there at First Federal Bank and Trust. I'm Floyd Whiting. For the second part of our show this morning, I am joined by the chair of the Johnson County Commission, the Honorable Bill Novotny. Good morning, Commissioner, and Happy New Year, sir. Happy New Year, Floyd. It's good to be on with you. It's always good to hear your voice. How was your Christmas season? You know, it was good. Uh, Minus the snow, I, I feel bad for... All those kids who got skis under the trees or had taken their skis to get waxed and ready to go and want to be up at Metal Oak, Metal Ark or uh, Antelope Butte because Mother Nature hasn't cooperated over the Christmas break and the poor kids in Buffalo and KC are back in school now. Yeah, I mean, what a Christmas break. Let's say you got those skis or a sled, which was my favorite thing to do in the winter when I was a child. It's uh, it's pretty hard to sled in the grass. Uh, it's it's just kind of a really surprising year. I, I spoke with the Sheridan County Commissioners about the weather just a little bit before I took off on my vacation. Um, how do you feel about this? Especially you're in agriculture. Uh, the weather plays a huge part in your life. How do you feel about this crazy weather outside? Well, with my commission hat on, certainly I know our road and bridge guys are appreciating 
they're not depleting the snowplow budget yet and, and certainly haven't had to dig into the sand and gravel piles. But as an ag guy, absolutely. Uh, you know, talk to the recluses down outside of KC, and a lot of people don't realize sheep eat snow. Uh, and he's worried because his reservoirs are, are running low and they don't have any snow down there, and they might have to start trucking sheep. Uh, water to get to the sheep and so uh, obviously we need it for grass uh, helps us rejuvenate those aquifers up in the bighorns rebuild that snowpack that comes off and is going down clear creek in the summertime and uh, the the snow tells are telling us there's no snow so uh, that's very very concerning coming out of a, a you know a drought year and a bumper grass year but the last thing we need is uh, the foliage that we have to be dried out and be a tinderbox up there absolutely sir i agree 110 percent. because last year's spring was so beautiful i'm not going to complain about it uh but it lasted for so long all of those fuels really got some grow time and all they've essentially done is just laid over in in this season uh and and we're not getting very much moisture in the ground now speaking of land uh, on previous occasions, you and I have spoken on the use of public lands, issues when dealing with federal land management policy. Can you tell us what the Wyoming Public Lands Initiative is? I would love to. Employ. This is one of those hopefully great success stories where grassroots public policy is going to become law of the land. And so uh, in the late 70s, early 80s, the BLM did an inventory of all their land and put together a list of wilderness study areas, and they forwarded that list to Congress, and then Congress sat on it. Uh, and so basically, we have lands in Johnson County and in counties across the state that are being managed like wilderness, even though they don't have a wilderness designation, because the only way you can get a de- wilderness designation is congressional action. And so... Uh, the county commissioners from across the state got together, formed collaboratives all over the state to try to address what to do with these wilderness study areas. Not all the counties participated. Uh, and some people looked at the process and said, yeah, I'm not interested in participating either. But ranchers, uh, hunting groups, conservation groups, all of these people sat around a table for a year and came up with these sensible solutions for the public lands. Um, this pertains to Fortification Creek, which is on the Johnson County, Campbell County line, as well as Gardner Mountain and uh, the North Fork Wilderness Authority areas down outside of KC. And so we put these recommendations, we packaged them up into a bill, and we sent it to Congress and said, fix this. And uh, actually, this was originally envisioned under when Cynthia Lummis was still in the House. Uh, she's replaced by Liz Cheney, who introduces a bill for us. Uh, on the Senate side, Senator Brasso had a bill for us. Uh, years passed. We couldn't get it moving. Last Congress, we actually got to have a hearing, uh, and we were feeling pretty optimistic. Uh, right before Christmas, Floyd, we actually had a markup in the Senate Energy Committee. And so our bill is now pending before the U.S. Senate. We're very, very hopeful that he, this bill and a couple of other public lands bills can get passed in the Senate. We see easy clearance through the House. Uh, Congresswoman Hegeman has a companion bill that is the sponsor uh, matchup with the bill that we have in the Senate. So we actually 
may be able to get these lands out of what I call regulatory purgatory, and that is through inaction, nothing could be done with them. And so this is what the locals, the people that enjoy those areas wanted, and we might actually get to make some positive change. So what I'm understanding, sir, is that with these bills, should they go farther, there will be less influence from the federal level on Wyoming lands that are currently somewhat under their policy. Correct? It it is. We will have written the management prescriptions that we want. So down in Fortification Creek and uh, North Fork and and the Gardner Mountain area, we're going to be able to fight fire. We're going to be able to spray uh, and and take care of invasive weeds and other pets. Because right now we don't have that opportunity. We are barred from doing those things because they are in a wilderness study area. Yeah, yeah. I can actually remember uh, uh, some things. My uncle was a range rider, and we would often uh, have individuals with us as we were herding cattle just coming up. They were working for various agencies, but during those conversations, um, we would ask about these small wilderness areas that were around. And uh, everybody kind of had various opinions on what they were. But uh, you and I will talk about that offline. I can't say what they said on the radio. (laughs) So, But how can we, as residents, citizens of the state of Wyoming, help these bills along? Can we give our senators and our congresswoman a call? Uh, Can we somehow garner support for this? Absolutely. Uh, pick up the phone, drop them an email, uh, go to their websites, uh, comment through there. But yes, encourage them to get the Wyoming Public Lands Initiative across the finish line. Let's get this signed into law. Let's get these lands back into multiple use and having good management prescriptions so that we're good stewards of the land. And and while they're at it, those folks take the time to go comment on that Rock Springs RMP. I, I know uh, there was some discussion about a runway at your airport and then about what would be better use of, of, of the county's time. And absolutely, get involved in pushing back against that uh, resource management plan down in uh, Rock Springs. And then also, once the BLM releases their sage grouse guidance and, and the cooperating agencies, which Sheridan County, Johnson County, and, and others across the state are working with the BLM right now in a very, very flawed process where they're not listening to us about rewriting the rules for stage grouse. So as soon as those documents are available, please get involved and provide public comment on those. We've got to push back. We've got to show them that we are listening, that we understand the issues, and that they are wrong. Sir, I know I'm kind of dipping my toe in the pool of speculation here, but uh, what do you feel is the reasoning behind this big federal influx of uh, these policies where they're not paying attention to the people who actually live, work, and play here? I I think it's an end to the concept of multiple use. And multiple use and best yield has always been the practice of the BLM. Unfortunately, uh, this is a, a backdoor attempt at uh, ending any oil, gas, or other mineral production on public lands, on limiting you and I's ability as a recreationist to go out there, whether you like to ride mountain bikes, 
motorbikes or just hike. Uh, you know, they they flat out choose not to manage uh, non-native species like uh, the feral horses and burros that are out there. Yet uh, we all love Wyoming's iconic wildlife like the mule deer and the antelope, which are so dependent on those areas. You know, I, I really believe that their interest in the sage grouse is to push for listing as another tool to limit our ability to enjoy access uh, and have multiple use of our public land. Now, um, would you please remind residents how they can uh, access these things? Where, where do they need to go to make these comments? Uh, you said uh, if they wanted to help the Wyoming Public Lands Initiative, we can just email and call our representatives and our senators. What about, uh, say, that BLM issue in Rock Springs, which I know is a big deal. You and I have talked about this a lot. Uh, we both uh, share the our, our opinions on what's going on with that land. How can people access uh, that comment? They're going to go to the, the BLM site and comment through their portal and uh, we'll make sure, Floyd, if you need a, a link to that so you can post it on your story uh, or anywhere on shared media, but it, it's all through their public comment process through their website because they like to streamline it in there because automation and then they don't have to retype the comments, but um, through through BLM.gov and go there and, and comment on the Rock Springs uh, RMP. That's an RMP for the folks that don't like acronym soup that's the resource management plan well i greatly appreciate uh, that sir um, i'm i'm one of those individuals that i believe the control and and the caretaking should be left to the individuals who who live work and play here i'm going to switch gears on you real quick sir because to me this is another big important issue the Jim Getchall Memorial Museum needed some repairs there's been some work going on out there how's that going it, it's great, Floyd, and we're now at a pause in the process. And uh, Buffalo was fortunate. Uh, Andrew Carnegie gave money to build the library. Uh, the library had moved out, and that building uh, became part of our museum system. Uh, so it's over 100 years old. We brought in some uh, folks that have an expertise in historic restoration, and so they've removed uh, stones. It's a sandstone building, and so they've replaced stones that were decaying. They redid the grout. Uh, just some incredible work. They're going to restart that project this spring. Uh, and really, uh, we're trying to be good stewards uh, of that building. The work they did is beautiful. That's a mix of grant money, uh, county money, and then uh, private donations. So there's, there's three different entities that are all trying to get this done to preserve our history and protect that beautiful building. And it's so unfortunate. So many of these, be- so many of these beautiful libraries over the years, Floyd, have been torn down, uh, and we can't let that happen. But um, that old building is, is shown its age, and once we get all of the stonework, then they're going to apply a sealant to those uh, sandstones that are going to help us continue to protect it. And just like your cabin, uh, and you oil your logs, it'll be a, a periodic thing where they have to go in and and reseal those stones, but. That's never been done before, and, and just like a couple of years ago, we did an energy audit of the building, and uh, you realize they never put any insulation in the attic, so we added that. Uh, we worked on replacing windows, but we're just really 
we're trying to be good stewards of that building. Wow, I it, you know it's it's amazing. It's not just renovating. We've got new policies in place to make sure that this uh, doesn't happen again. And if it does, it's going to be way down the line. And and you're right about that. We're, we're losing too many historical buildings throughout uh, the state of Wyoming, throughout the nation, in my opinion. And so everything that we can do to actually preserve those, I think, is very, very important. Now... I've also heard, uh, and and you're actually the one who brought this to my attention. I haven't heard much about this until you said something. You have a new emergency management coordinator, Jimmy Catalina? Jimmy Catalina, yes. We are uh, career law enforcement. Uh, The guy has a Ph.D. in psychology, uh, so he must be crazy if he wants to work for local government. (laughs) But... uh, uh, our our longtime emergency management coordinator Marilyn Conley is going to retire uh, at the end of February, and so uh, his first day was yesterday, and he was at our commissioners' meeting with her to present uh, um, MOU and and some other things, and so we welcome him to the the county family, and and also we appreciate Marilyn's longtime service uh, as the Johnson County Emergency Management Coordinator, and that's something I, I really wanted to point out. Uh, Marilyn Connolly, uh, such a smart individual. uh, She's one of those individuals that really likes to take action. Um, She's going to be greatly missed. I I had the opportunity to work closely with her when I was reporting over there in Johnson County. And uh, I want to congratulate Marilyn on a prestigious career. And uh, all of us here at Sheridan Media, thank you for your service to Johnson County and the people that reside there. Now, with this experience that Catalina is bringing to this position, Marilyn, being the individual that she is, she's got a lot of work done over the last couple of years. Is there anything that Catalina is really going to be focused on? I don't have much time left with you, sir, but uh, is there anything that uh, the commissioners would really like him to laser in on? You know, again, it's that continuation of Marilyn put together a great plan so that we're continually updating those for road closures and spills and everything else. So there's a great foundation, and he just needs to build on everything that Maryland's put together. Absolutely. I greatly appreciate you calling in, sir. It is always a pleasure to hear from you. Good to talk to you, Floyd. Happy New Year, buddy. Happy New Year, sir. You have been listening to Public Pulse on 930 KROE and 103.9 FM. Shared. Bank and Trust presents the return of Dining for a Cause at Smith Alley Brewing on Monday, January 22nd from 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. Our goal is to support local restaurants and nonprofits. On January 22nd, help us support the incredible work of the Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. First Federal will match the restaurant's proceeds from that day up to $10,000. Dining for a Cause, Monday, January 22nd at Smith Alley Brewing with proceeds benefiting Sheridan Foster Parent Exchange. Dining for a Cause presented by First Federal Bank and Trust. Once again, the Wild Theater's Classic Western Film Festival takes you back to the days of white hat good, black hat bad. 
Every Sunday in January, the Wyo will feature an iconic Western film introduced by a local luminary. This Sunday afternoon, renowned horseman Buck Brannaman introduces Tom Horn, starring Steve McQueen in this Wyoming-based historical treatment of Western injustice. Tom Horn calls himself a rural detective. Eventually, the cattle barons of Wyoming realize that although Horn is doing exactly what they hired him to do, his tactics will ultimately tarnish their new civilized image, and they begin to plot Tom Horn's demise. Join us this Sunday, 2 p.m. at the Wyo Theater for a classic Western matinee on the big screen. Sponsored by Jeff Ware and Carmel Timmons, Tracy and Elizabeth Swanson, the Isley Family Foundation, Kathy McNichol, Christine Gimp Love Foundation, True Built Builders, Stephanie's Purpose, Gene and Vicki Sterling, Jim and Angie Navarro, and O.W. Land and Cattle Company. Are you looking for your own piece of rural property? Well, let's talk about 1947 Sussex Road near KC. This private 40 acres is zoned agricultural, has 28 irrigated acres with ditch water, plus sprinklers off a well. Powder River runs right through the property and has great fishing, plus whitetail, mule deer, and occasional elk. If you're interested in 1947 Sussex Road, call Dolly Bellis at Buffalo Realty, connecting people with property. The following message is presented by Century 21 BHJ, 101 South Main. The Sheridan Civic Theater Guild will have auditions for its upcoming production of Waiting for Godot at the Carriage House Theater at 419 Delphi. Auditions will be held January 8th and 9th at 6 p.m. Performances will run March 7th through 10th and March 14th through 17th. See the Civic Theater Guild's Facebook page for more details. Ladies, you know that one thing you've been dying to try but don't know how to get started? Well, I'm here to help. This is Candace Crane, General Manager at Sheridan Honda and Power Sports, and I'd like to invite you to check out my podcast, I Want to Do That, Women Helping Women Explore the Outdoors. This episode, I'm talking to a fellow Wyomingite who loves the snow just as much as I do. Tana shares her transition from skiing to snowmobiling and tips on how you can get started exploring the backcountry. I Want to Do That is sponsored by Ski-Doo and will be available wherever you